Hello, flight instructors and NAFI members. John Niehaus, Director of Program Development for the National Association of Flight Instructors, welcoming you back to another episode of the NAVI More Right Rudder Podcast, the podcast for flight instructors on the go. And before I get to the details of this particular episode, and I promise you I've got a good one. I'm really excited about this. Uh, I want to thank our sponsor for the episode, and that's friend of the family, good friend of NAFI, and of course, great supporter of NAFI members, and that's Sporty's Pilot Shop. ShopSporties.com for all of your pilot training and supply needs. And remember, NAFI members enjoy 20% off of select training products and Sporty's eFERC is free. Now, we really want to also make sure that you know that Sporty's, of course, is going to be at EAA AirVenture at the end of the month, and their tent is going to be number 260 Bravo. So look them up, say hi, their team is fantastic, tell them that NAFI sent you, and, uh, you know, maybe buy a couple things, because that helps support NAFI members too. So, Anyhow, we appreciate everything that Sporties does for us. And while we're talking about AirVenture, um, don't miss the NAFI Professional Development Center, which is also at AirVenture, and uh, that is booth or tent number um, 354. Now, one of the other things I want to do before we get to this episode is uh, I want to make sure I'm starting to share some of our contact information. And you can reach out to us at NAFI, N-A-F-I, at NAFINet.org. So N-A-F-I at N-A-F-I, N-E-T dot O-R-G. And uh, I'd love to hear your feedback. I'd love to, to know whether uh, this show is uh, resonating with you, if there's things you like, things you don't like, or if you have ideas of things that uh, you'd like us to talk about. Find somebody to, uh, to, to be an expert on whatever topic you might want, and all of that helps to, uh, to make sure that this is geared towards what's useful to you, the flight instructor. And you, the prospective flight instructor, and another you, the prospective pilot. So um, I hope you're enjoying it, and uh, I hope that uh, that we continue this for, for a long time to come. But we appreciate you listening, and of course, uh, feel free to sign up for NAFI if you're not a NAFI member at nafinet.org. Anyways, um, this episode is an exciting episode because it is our second episode of the writers behind the stories and uh, if you missed the first one uh, what this basically is is it's sort of a more right writer takeover by our director of publications beth stanton she's our editor of naffy mentor magazine and uh, she came up with this really great idea of having some of the writers from the magazine on the podcast so you could sort of understand kind of the voice behind the articles that you read um, and sort of highlight some of the different bits of content that they've created, maybe in the past, probably in the future too, and uh, just kind of see where it goes so we can sort of uh, get ourselves into a position to uh, to feel like we know these people. I think we already sort of feel like we know them, but know them even better. And so this episode, episode two, um, and we try to do one of these every uh, every magazine cycle, which is every other month. And of course, the July August has just come out. Um, and uh, Spencer 
Suderman is her guest, and uh, I'm not going to uh, make an introduction. I'd like that to, uh, to to be a part of the actual presentation itself, but uh, I think you'll enjoy it. I think you'll be entertained, and uh, Beth, if you're listening, of course, you did a fantastic job. So thank you both, and uh, enjoy the Writers Behind the Stories with Beth Stanton and Spencer Suderman. Welcome to Nappy's More Right Writer Podcast. I'm Beth Stanton, Nappy's Director of Publications and Editor. We are here for episode two of our new series, The Writers Behind the Stories. Content for Nappy's bi-monthly mentor magazine is sourced from Nappy members who volunteer to share their experience and knowledge with the Nappy community. In this podcast series, you'll meet some mentor authors, learn about their backstories, and get a peek into just how they got here. Today, we welcome Spencer Suderman to the show. Spencer is a flight instructor, airshow pilot, and two-time Guinness World Record Breaker for performing the most inverted flat spins. He began flying in the late 1980s while in college and earned his private pilot certificate, followed by commercial with an instrument rating. In 2002, he became a CFI and began teaching pilots how to be safer through upset prevention and recovery training. 20 years later, in 2022, he earned his CFII. Spencer flew his first air show in 2006, and he teaches aerobatics and upset recovery training in St. Augustine, Florida. In March 2016, Spencer flew the Sunbird S1X, an experimental variant of the Pitts S1 biplane, to an altitude of 24,500 feet above Yuma, Arizona. He then entered into an inverted flat spin and at an altitude of 2,000 feet, initiated a recovery and returned to level flight at 1,200 feet. That day, he set a new world record of 98 inverted flat spins, breaking his previous world record of 81 that he set in 2014. Spencer's latest project is producing a video series for sporties instructing Cessna pilots how to improve their basic airmanship skills. He also has a YouTube channel that is filled with educational and entertainingly snarky videos. Spencer, welcome to the show. Thank you, Beth. It's great to be here with you and chat with you today. Spencer, I'd like to start um, by asking you to share with NAFI members just how you ended up writing for Mentor Magazine. Well, I want to say there was a, you know, a, a stringent um, evaluation period and a lot of test writing and, and you know, showcasing myself. But really, um, I seem to recall you and I ran into each other at the Garmin uh, tent in Oshkosh and started talking. And you said, hey, you should write for the magazine. And I said, OK. <laughs> and that's really how it happened. Now. Let's not forget you. You and I. You and I have a long history together. We're fellow aerobatic pilots. Birds of a feather certainly flock together. Or shall I say, birds of a feather 
uh, fly in formation together. So you already knew some of my background and capabilities. And um, I think it was just opportune and somewhat serendipitous that we were both oogling the eye candy in the garment tent and uh, ran into each other and started chatting. And that's how it happened. I know I'm I'm sort of, and I have not made a, a secret to NAFI, the NAFI community that basically when I came aboard as editor last year, I just started twisting every CFI's arm that I knew. <laughs> to write for mentor. And when I ran into you, I'm like, oh, Spencer's a CFI. I'm going to make a write for mentor. So um, you were great. You were, you were gracious enough to um, say yes. So thank you for that. So you brought up the fact that, you know, you're an aerobatic pilot. I'm an aerobatic pilot. And, you know, I got into aerobatics because I was afraid of stalls and spins. So I didn't get into it because I'm like, woohoo, let's go have fun. Although it, I understood that it is that. Um, I found that this type of training made me a more confident and competent pilot. And I don't think it's a very big secret with NAFI that I kind of beat that drum of get upset and recovery training, get spin recovery training. It makes you more confident and competent pilot. So Spencer, I know that you... I have a, I have a bunch of different questions for you. So you got your initial CFI 20 years ago, and you told me that you don't do primary instruction. You like, you prefer doing, um, the upset recovery training and the more advanced type training. So tell us a little bit about why you prefer that type of teaching. Sure. That's a great question. Um, let's, let's start with why I became a CFI around 1999. I started doing, um, actually the emergency maneuver training program at uh, CP Aviation in Santa Paula. And I trained with Rich Stoll. Many people know who Rich Stoll is. He's a little famous. He's almost as famous as me now. Almost, not so, quite. Not quite. Um, and I've known Rich ever since then. And, and you know, it's he's a, he's a, he's a great person to, to, you know, consider a colleague. And, and um, anyway, we have a long history together. Somewhat sorted, but a long history. But, of course, my history with most people is sorted, as you well know. So I was doing the emergency maneuver training program and I had no intention really of doing anything more than just becoming competent, doing, doing it for the same reason most pilots do it, to become more competent, improve my airmanship skills, become more comfortable, uh, understand all three dimensions that an airplane flies in, right? They fly upside down, sideways, up, down, vertical, horizontal, all that stuff. And at the time I was also working on my instrument rating. So I was a lot, a lot of training going on for me in the aviation uh, realm. I think it was the second lesson where we had just finished going through a spin series and Rich said, well, the next lesson we'll start working on inverted flying and rolls. So let me demo an aileron roll on the way back to the airport. So great. So he said, I'll take the airplane. He said, my plane. I said, your plane, hold the nose up, stop, execute an aileron roll. About the time we're going through inverted and keep in mind, decathlons don't roll very fast. So it seemed like we're inverted for a long time. Something inside my brain said, dude, do more of that. It was almost like, you know, there's the, there's the heroin shot right there. And for someone who never intended to become an aerobatic pilot, to just become a safer pilot, I didn't stop. I continued on. I got checked out in the airplane, got my tailwheel endorsement, started doing aerobatics. Just never stopped from there. Changed, literally changed my entire life. So I got my CFI 
after doing spin training and, and emergency maneuver training, unusual attitude training, because I thought it was the greatest training I'd ever taken in an airplane. And I thought that, and I still feel this way today quite strongly, that if pilots don't take this kind of training, they're simply unprepared for what might come their way someday in an airplane. And every pilot should do it. So I became a CFI to teach this type of training. That was my only goal. Hmm. I've never really had an interest in teaching primary flight training. Um, and most people who know me would probably agree that I don't have the patience to teach primary flight training. I much prefer to do, maybe that's a little ADHD thing, but um, I certainly prefer to um, work with pilots and make them safer than to turn people into pilots. So tell me who is your, who's what kind of people come to get the type of training? Like who's the average? Is there an average pilot who shows up and says, Spencer, I want to do upset recovery training? Yeah, I, I think I think it's mid-time to high-time pilots for the most part who probably already scared themselves once mm -hmm. or twice, um, got themselves into some situations, maybe over banking, um, you know, flying at high high bank angles, holding altitude, maybe felt a little stall buffet, heard about the, the dreaded accelerated stall, never experienced it, want to learn more about it. Um, they've heard the horror stories about what if an airplane starts spinning and I don't know how to recover. But for the most part, it's mid to high time pilots. I think most new pilots don't have enough experience yet to, um, you know, we need some stick time to learn enough to know what you don't know. I think a lot of people have observed this. I think many of us have. People get their pilot's license and feel like they're, they're, they're somehow now an expert at flying because they have a pilot's license. And most of us know that a private pilot, like I'm going to use the old cliche, it's just a license to learn. And that's really true. That is your opportunity to go out by yourself. But most people are afraid to push barriers. Also, a lot of the types of training I deliver is simply not taught in primary or ab initio mm -hmm. flight training, as some like to call it. Things like spins and extreme attitudes and how to roll an airplane and recover, simply not part of the training. Certainly spins isn't. It probably should be. And it'd be nice if it was, but it's not. So uh, people are being taught in many cases by instructors who only did their spin training endorsement to get their CFI and don't themselves have a lot of experience in it and can't even, um, I think, explain it well enough to, to new pilots. So they sense the fear from their instructors. And I think if all instructors would learn more, would, would actually become a little more than, hey, I got my spin endorsement by doing a couple of spins in an airplane with another instructor. I think we would turn out a lot fewer scared pilots. Well, it's so funny it, when, as I'm listening to you describe your average pilot and I'm like, I was the exact opposite of that. Like I, the DPE was signing my ticket and I'm like, where do I get this training? Cause I'm freaking scared. And it's funny because I just automatically three weeks after my check ride started flying aerobatics and then eight years, that's all I did. And one of our local DPEs around here in Northern California, when I was president of the international aerobatic club chapter, chapter 38, and he asked me to come and do a fast safety seminar to a group of CFIs on spins. And I'm like, Vince, I'm 150 hour time, like something like that, brand new pilot practically. Um, 
private pilot. You want me to come and talk to a bunch of CFIs, like talk about feeling like an imposter. He's like, Beth, this is this, this is the, the, the line you do. You do this all the time. And I was like, yeah, you're right. So when I started out the, the meeting, there's about 30 CFIs in the room. And I said, okay, show of hands who here is afraid of stalls and spins and almost a hundred percent of the CFIs raised their hand, which in that, and it wasn't like to shame anybody, of course, but it's just like, to your point, there is a, um, there is a gap in, in the training slash frequency of training and just being comfortable with maneuvers. Like when, when at first you're like, oh my God, spin is like this terrifying thing that's going to kill you. And then when you're just like, oh, spin is like, oh, raise the nose, let it drop, da, da, recover. It's like not a big deal. Obviously you need enough altitude to recover, but um, it's, it's, it's just sort of getting good at that. So this brings me to our conversation about what does Spencer want to write about for his first article in the magazine. And I actually went and did a little research and I went back to your original article that you sent me. And actually the title of the article originally was five things flight instructors should know. And you had five things. And then we workshop the title quite a bit. And then we're like, well, maybe it's more five things flight instructors should teach because hopefully they should know these things anyway. And then after you guys, this is how the, the, the magic is made behind the scenes at Mentor. How we the find sausage is made, how, the magic. This is how the sausage gets sausage. made. Sausage. No, sausage can be magical too. We can't, we came up with the title Undertaught Topics because that really sort of encapsulated what, what you were trying to convey. So let's talk briefly about what are the five. And by the way, you guys, Spencer is also going to be, this uh, re podcast recording will be dropping in uh, early to mid-July and Spencer will be doing a presentation at the NAFI Professional Development Center at Oshkosh on Saturday, the 29th at noon. So you could see him in person talking about undertaught topics. So tell us a little bit about how and why you chose those five topics to discuss in your article. And then you will also be talking about it at Oshkosh. Yep. Um, the five topics that I wrote about, and I'll review them here in a moment, really come from the experience I have teaching airmanship and upset recovery and prevention or UPRT training, um, in many cases to flight instructors and CFIs. You know, as a side note, uh, a lot of people who come and take this kind of training are CFIs who realize they don't have enough of this experience in their background and actually want to learn more. And, and the interesting thing is by the end of the first lesson on one of these training programs, they've already done more spins than they than most CFIs have ever done, including what they did for their, their initial um, endorsement, their spin training endorsement to be a CFI. So it's really interesting. But the five topics, um, and of course I have them on my computer here so I can remember what they are in detail, are what happens when you do a cross-controlled stall or a slipping stall. Let me just run down them and then we'll, we'll, we'll dig into them a little bit. And the spoiler alert on that is the airplane does not spin just because you're stalling with rudder in because it's a slip. But we'll talk about that in a moment. Then this really gets to the whole, um, I see a lot of people who are afraid to slip an airplane and slipping is just a key it's a key skill it's a basic skill it's a key skill but it's an important skill and a tool any pilot might need uh spin entry is not a spin this sounds so obvious right spin entry is an entry but a spin entry is not a spin uh i've seen many people want to treat a spin entry um 
like a spin from a recovery perspective and want to use the pair power aileron rudder elevator recovery technique to recover from a spin on a spin entry but a spin entry or the incipient phase is not a spin you actually don't need to do pair you simply need to unload the wing or release the back pressure on the yoke or stick and it'll simply stop entering the spin because when it's not developed um, by the time you do pair, you're most likely to induce it to spin the other direction. We'll, we'll dive into that a little bit. I've, I've seen people do it. It's really interesting. And number three was why slipping all the way to touchdown in a crosswind is better than the crab and kick it straight method. Uh, we see this all the time at airports. You'll have to do is sit in an airport. There's a lot of training activity and watch people uh, come in to land with a crab and then try to kick it straight and land on the runway. It, it's horrible. It's ugly. It's, it's, it's comical at times but it's just not good airmanship. So we'll talk about slipping all the way to the touchdown in a crosswind. Uh, number four, how to do a turning slip. Notice a lot of this is, is, is built around slips and pattern work. I think that's where people are really struggling. I, I see a lot of, especially the mid-time pilots, we're still struggling to land an airplane consistently with, without a horror, you know, hey, we all bounce once in a while. I may have bounced once or twice. Beth, I, you I'm sure haven't because I know you're fantastic. But you know, there's still a lot of people who just never seem to get comfortable landing. And it's easier than you think when you use the right technique and, and becoming proficient at slipping, especially when you do the, you practice 180 degree power off uh, to landing maneuvers, right? Where beam the numbers, you pull power and fly it to the numbers by doing a 180 turn. Most of that should be a turning slip. And I've asked people, you know, to do that. And most of them have never been taught how to do it. So that's definitely a shortfall. Um, the last one is my favorite, the impossible turn, or perhaps we should call it the improbable turn because so many people have rationalized that it can be done. And frankly, a lot of those people crashed or not with us anymore, mm -hmm. but some people have done it. They've done it successfully. So really the, 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 the possibility of an improbable turn, if you lose power right after takeoff, should you turn back to the runway? Well, my question to people when this comes up is, have you practiced it? They go, what do you mean? Do you know that if you if you don't have your engine, what the sink rate is on an airplane in turning flight? They look at you, they look at you or look at me, um, you know, with, with, with their eyes glazed over, what do you mean? So clearly they've never gone out and practiced, you, you know, engine out emergencies and try to do aggressive turns by aggressive in an engine out, you know, anything more than 30 degrees, just to see what would obviously do it at a safe altitude, just to see what would happen and how alarming the sink rate can become if you overbank the airplane and pull too hard and try to turn. So and I'm not suggesting, I never suggest to people they should try it because honestly, the for most Cessnas or most airplanes, I believe, um, the um, the engine, the loss of power after takeoff emergency checklist specifically says, I know it does for set number eight on the Cessna 172 checklist says, land straight ahead. So if the checklist itself says land straight ahead, you lose power right after takeoff. Why does, why do so many people think they should even try to turn around? Especially if they've never practiced it at altitude before and never learned for themselves how the airplane performs, and more importantly, how do you perform as a pilot? How will you handle that emergency? And of course, that you have to um, take into account the few seconds and the um, the expletive that follows the word "o" 
when something goes wrong, like the engine quits, you know, you need to give yourself five seconds to even realize something's not right. Something's gone wrong because nobody wants to accept that. That's the, you know, people get quite startled when things like that happen and they're likely to do unpredictable things. So there's a lot to that particular one. And, and I think that really needs to be discussed. And I don't know that instructors should be teaching people how to do the impossible turn. I think they should be talking to students about the importance of going out and learning what the performance of an airplane is without an engine in turning flight so that they understand what happens when you turn with no power and what kind of sink rates are involved and how do you even reposition the airplane given a crosswind to potentially attempt to land on that runway. But I think statistics will show in most cases it doesn't work because the person who tried it has never even attempted to practice it and give themselves that core knowledge. So the first time they tried an emergency procedure was in an emergency and it was a procedure they'd never even tried in a training situation. Well, and that's, again, the um, you're, you're only going to perform this, as best as you have practiced. And if you literally have never practiced, you're not going to perform very well. And again, sort of circling back to like why I sought out unusual attitude recovery training, because I'm like, what are the chances in an emergency, very first time this is ever happening, I would pull out of my head a checklist and perform it and have a good outcome. Like I didn't, that didn't seem very probable to me. So I really appreciate you going into the, that you, you actually kind of went into some detail on that number five with the impossible turn. So thank you for that, Spencer. And I just want to tell our listeners that Spencer's article was in the November, December, 2022 issue of Mentor Magazine. So if you can, you can look that up. It's, it's on your coffee table. I'm sure it is. Or you can go online to nafinet.org and you can go into the archives and you could, there's a PDF of it posted to the website. So no, it's, it's a fascinating, all of these are very fascinating topics, undertaught topics and good conversations to have. So I'm really happy that you agreed to speak on this at uh, Oshkosh also. I think I know it's going to be very, very well attended. I want to shift gears a little bit, Spencer, and ask you, this is in relation to 20 years after you got your initial CFI, you went back and got your CFII. So I have a couple questions here. One is why, why did you decide to do that? And two, how was training different? You know, nowadays we have tools and resources available that we didn't have 20 years ago. You know, I think flight simulation, online resources, social media, forums, websites. There's so much more now. So I guess these are two separate questions. So why CFII and how did you find it different? Sure. So let's go back to um, 2002. November of 2002 was when I became a flight instructor. So about two years prior to that, I got my instrument rating. We all know you need an instrument rating to become a flight instructor. And I had already been pursuing my instrument rating. I got that in 2000. And after I got my instrument rating, uh, let me, for the, for the flight instructors who may uh, have still been running around in diapers at that point in time, in those days, there were no glass panels in, in, in common general aviation airplanes. We had a six pack, which is six individual instruments on the panel right in a in a they look like a six pack 
of beer. If you're old enough to drink beer, you know what I'm talking about. We had, you know, you typically had two radios, two Navcom radios in the airplane with VOR heads that you manually tune with a knob. In case anyone's not sure what that, how that works. Um, most airplanes had a, uh, <laughs> had an ADF and that's it. And you had a paper chart. You had paper, paper approach plates and a, you know, paper chart. And you had to do all the thinking yourself. It's amazing. You had to look at all this information. You had to scan all the instruments. You had to make sure your radios, you manually had to make sure your radios were tuned to the right VORs or ILS or localizer or whatever by listening to the little Morse code beeps and things like that. You've kind of lost skills. I know it's trained that way, but it becomes, it's kind of cool to look at a G1000. It just tells you what VOR you're tuned to because it reads the Morse code for you. It's kind of cool. Did you know you can turn the volume up and listen to that if you want to on a G1000? That's a whole nother lesson how to do that. But that's how I learned how to fly IFR. And, and I actually practiced those skills. And I did it in Southern California where I live, where it's very common, especially in the spring and summer, to have a marine layer in the morning, you know, a thin layer. Um, if you had an instrument rating, you could get out of the airport and go wherever you're going for lunch. And usually by the time you got back, that marine layer was gone because I flew near the coast. So marine layer was, you know, common thing. And then in 2003, I stopped flying instruments. And the reason is, that was the year I got my pit special. That's when I got my pits S2B. And uh, aerobatic flying uh, seemed to be a lot more fun than instrument flying. And it was for a lot of years. And you already mentioned all the cool things I did in aerobatics and with aerobatic planes. So my instrument skills just really were not needed during those times. I, I didn't fly in instrument conditions. It uh, wasn't necessary. Most aerobatic planes are not IFR. So you just don't use those skills. And I was just too busy having fun doing air shows and flying upside down, all that good stuff. Uh, after I moved to Florida in 2018, I, I, I did my last air show in 2017. I sold my S2B. I still have a Pitts S1. It's in, still in Santa Paula. That was supposed to be the third record-breaking airplane. That's a whole nother story. Um, some people know that story about me losing a prop and doing an emergency landing in a pitch with no prop in a Whiteman airport in Los Angeles. So look that one up. Uh, I will tell you a pitch does glide farther without a prop on it. Um, so if you're ever having trouble with a pits, if you can ditch the prop, you will definitely glide further. Anyway, moved to Florida, uh, got involved in doing aerobatic training here. And after a few years, I just thought, you know, I really want to renew my instrument skills. They've, they've gotten kind of rusty and most airplanes now, you know, are, are in fact, most training airplanes are Garmin G1000 equipped. You find at flight schools, your typical Cessnas. And I'd used the G1000 over the years. I've had students or people I'd flown with to do flight reviews and things. So I've used the equipment, although not in instrument conditions, just in VFR conditions. So I thought, now's a good time to go do an IPC, get current again. And as long as I'm going to do that, I might as well go get my CFII. Because most people who know me know I don't do anything halfway. I'm going to do something, go all the way. That's why I didn't just do aerobatics. I became an airshow pilot. I didn't just do air shows. I broke a world record with an aerobatic maneuver. That's just my nature. That's the AD. That's the ADHD part of it, right? Um, that's just the air show pilot mentality. So I found a flight school that had uh, my, well, my requirements were to find a flight school that had uh, airplanes with G1000, not that hard to find, and an instructor could help me pass the CFII. Well, uh, as we know, at most flight schools, the instructors don't stay around very long. Most of them, you know, will turn out a few primary students, maybe some instrument students, very few turn out 
CFIs. So that was an interesting experience. Um, I flew with a couple of great guys, but you know, look, no offense, they were in their twenties. Well, I'm not offended by people in their twenties. Well, maybe a little, but you know, they're in their twenties and they both told me they had never seen or flown an airplane with a six pack. They're like, what's that like? Like, well, it's different. You have to use your brain more, right? Because the equipment we have today um, is great. It, it, there's so much information and the engineers who've, who've, you know, designed this equipment have done a great job giving you access to information and presenting it in a way that it makes it really easy to fly in instruments by yourself, much safer than it's ever been. So, you know, it was interesting to um, fly with people who'd only, who'd never seen a six pack, never flown instruments that way. And they're like, what's that like? I'm like, you mean like having a paper chart in your lap, not having a, you know, a, a tablet in front of you with your charts on it. It's, it was different. Anyway, I got through it, got, did my IPC after a few flights of getting unrusty, getting familiar with the G1000 and using it effectively, and then just went on and passed my CFII checkride. And I'm glad I did. It was a great experience for me. Um, it's good to always be a student in flying. I think we all know that, but it's great to always be a student. And I'd already done some videos for Sporty. So they said, hey, why don't you do, do an instrument? So we're, you know, Sporty's, as everyone knows, does various promotions. They did IFR month in March. So they asked me to do a video series, and just go out and fly, fly IFR, show people what it's like to fly IFR so that people considering doing it, see that it's not scary. You know, the horror stories are mostly untrue. And if you're well-trained and you use modern equipment, it's safer than it's ever been, truly. Well, you brought, that was a nice segue, Spencer, because I wanted to talk next about your foray uh, into sporties lands. So, so Spencer is pretty irreverent sense of humor, pretty, just go look, go look his stuff up on YouTube. You'll see it's really entertaining and really funny. So when he told me he was doing this series for sporties, I'm like, how's that work in Spencer? Cause you probably have to kind of be a straight man to do the sporties videos. So tell me a little bit about how that all came about. And I thought you've done several different series for them, I believe too. I have, I've done three series so far. It started last year. I did a series on uh, advanced pilot skills, and these are all on Sporty's YouTube channel. It's all free content. And really, it's part of their marketing approach to bringing people into their website, you know, their, their or I should say their, their you know, collection of digital assets where they sell courses and, and everyone knows what Sporty's is and who they are and what they do. And they do a great job. I had done... Um, I had done a series on my YouTube channel called Turn Stalls and Spins. And I did it in an extra 300. And really it was an opportunity to demonstrate all of the what if scenarios that you just can't do in a Cessna. It wasn't really a bunch of aerobatics, although certainly aerobatics were part of it because that's how you create the, the, the environment to show these things. But I really wanted to show, well, what happens when you are recovering from a spin and you're using the pair recovery? Why, why is power the first thing you have to remove? So I did spins where I just put the power in, entered a spin and actually gave it full power and showed how flat spins occur. Mm -hmm. So that shows why you power is an aggravating factor. So I demonstrated these things in a plane that's certainly more than capable of doing what are frankly not very um, scary, to me anyway, not very scary, complicated or you know dangerous maneuvers in the right kind of airplane. I would never suggest to someone they go out and put a Cessna in a spin and add the power. Um, that's probably not a great idea. However, in the right airplane at the right altitudes with a person who's comfortable and competent to do it, you can show some really great examples of, of why, why it's important to do pair, why pair is the way it is, why it's power off, aileron's neutral, 
opposite rudder, elevator unloaded. And I did all these things and I showed them and I showed how crossover spins happen, which if you've never been in a crossover spin, one of the most fun and violent things you can do in the airplane next to um, negative snap rolls or in, or outside snap rolls, which we can explain that one later too. But if you like violence in airplanes, I've got a lot of it in that series and it's great. So I did that and Sporties, um, who I, I knew from some of the training I was doing, they were doing um, other video series with Patty Wagstaff at her school where I did some teaching. So I got to know the folks there and they said, hey, could you do a series like that for us, but in a Cessna? And I said, no, I can't do that stuff in a Cessna. That's why I did it in an extra. And I would have done it in a pits, but I didn't have one handy. They said, no, 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 no. Don't do the same things, but do some something like that where you could you could kind of push the envelope a little bit and and show some advanced things that in many cases pilots are just not seeing or getting from norm because it's not part of the syllabus of normal flight training. So they they asked me to do a, a 10 episode series called Advanced Pilot Skills with Spencer Suderman. I did it and it came out early last year. And um some some of them are more uh controversial than others. Um for some reason gliding assessment is a very controversial subject. Now, now, granted, you know, I'm not going to shut the engine off and um, actually glide a Cessna uh, for a for a you know training video. But people are like, well, if you really want to show how to, you know, how far a Cessna glides, you should shut the engine off. Well, I don't think that's something anyone should do on purpose, and I certainly don't think it's something you should video and put on YouTube because people will do it and think that's okay. Anyway, you know, that's a whole nother. Again, what you should and shouldn't show on YouTube is a whole nother story. And um, I certainly um, enjoy, would like to enjoy the use of my pilot's license for a very long time. So I won't be doing most of those things. But I did that for them and, and they got a really good response from it. And it drove the marketing behavior they were looking for. And then they asked me to do a series uh, early this year for their IFR promotional month, March for Learn, Learn, uh, Learn IFR month. So I did a series on that where I did some approaches and I did, we, I did a couple in uh, instrument meteorological conditions and that made a great video to show, hey, this is what it's really like to fly by yourself in the clouds in a well-equipped modern airplane. And then I just finished a series that came out for their learn to fly month and just showed some basic, hey, this is what it'll be like when you learn to fly and actually took somebody flying who um, had been in an airplane, but had never been in a pilot seat and the, the victim no subject of training, and we, you know, uh, her name was Paula. Put her in the in the left seat, and we just went out and did a, a basically a first lesson or a discovery flight, if you will. And it was really interesting, a lot of fun, fun for her, it was fun for me. So I think we'll be doing some more stuff together with Sporties. They like the product I'm putting out for them, and they're getting good response. It's driving, it, it's driving their um, their marketing efforts. Well, that's awesome, and. Sporties is also a very generous sponsor of NAFI. So it's uh, it's great that there's all this cross pollination and collaboration. And I mean, obviously, aviation is a very small universe. And I just love the fact that you're um, stepping away from your aerobatic stuff and going more towards the the, the roots of, of your training. Because, you know, to be honest, most pilots don't fly in pits and they don't fly in extras. They fly in Cessnas. So there's, there's value. What a shame. In, what a shame most pilots don't do that, isn't it? There's That's value. There's value in both of that. And that's what I think is so great about this. And I actually pinged Jim Burke, who's president of the international aerobatic club. And he wrote, oh, I wrote an, he, I asked him to write an article about international aerobatic day, which is 
June 24th this year in putting it in Mentor Magazine because, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of CFIs and there's plenty of students who would really like to explore this aspect of flying to become a safer and more competent pilot. And it's like a, it's a, it's an exit road and how to get there. So that's why I'm so happy that you decided to share your knowledge with us, Spencer. You're, you are, um, you're special, you're a little different. And uh, so in a good way, mostly. And so, no, just so like in, for people listening to, to this podcast, they can go look at your videos that you've made uh, on YouTube, your Spencer Suderman videos. They can look at your sporties videos. They can get in touch with you, um, you know, you know, at the International Aerobatic Day article, I, I printed the calendar of events. So it's all over the country. So if, well, all over the world, it's International Aerobatic Day. So people oh. be like, oh, this is happening at my airport down the road. Let me go to this. So I really think it's, you know, my goal isn't like, okay, everybody go out and become a competition aerobatic or an airshow pilot. Of course not. It's, hey, how about you get this training that can make you potentially a safer pilot that might save your life like it, it you know we joke around about how fun it is but it's it, it is really serious it can save your friggin' life so there's a lot of value to that uh, and as as flight instructors passing along this information and knowledge along to our students is such a huge deal and being comfortable in and of yourself teaching it so there is there, there's a lot of value in it and i think all flight instructors should do some aerobatics i've always taken flight instructors flying whenever I can. When I used to fly air shows in my pits, I was always approached by people at air shows I was flying at. You know, a lot of them were flight instructors. And anytime I could, I took I took flight instructors flying. There's a lot out there who've been in, a, in a pits with me, in my pits, and, and just had a great time and learned something that they could pass along to other people. Mostly just how great it is to not be afraid, of course, in the right airplane, to not be afraid and to understand that you can recover from any unusual attitude and attitudes are only unusual if they're unusual to you. To me, no, no attitude is unusual. Or same, same with you, Beth, because we're we're used to and comfortable flying aerobatics and being upside down, right side up, sideways, going forward, sliding backwards. It's it's just part of what airplanes do. So if in an emergency you you find yourself there, and in most emergencies, you're not going to find yourself inverted. That's highly unlikely. You may find yourself with an extreme bank angle and losing altitude very quickly, nose down. That's that's not hard to see how that would happen. Just understanding that there's a right way to recover from that and having the skills and the confidence to simply do it without panicking about it. It's a great feeling when you're in an airplane. I Years ago, I was giving a talk and I used to do a lot of talking and I, I, I continue to proselytize unusual you still do a lot of talking Beth I've noticed I know well and it's about unusual attitude training and go get your spin recovery training already I was talking at an EAA chapter and this elderly gentleman came up to me afterwards and he said I've been afraid of spins for 40 years his whole flying career he he's been afraid of spins and I, and he was emotional about it. And he says, I wish, I wish I did this 40 years ago. I wish I saw this training out 40 years ago. And my heart just, I was like, oh my gosh, like th this, you know, we talk about the joy of flight and the beauty of flight and the freedom and how exhilarating it is. And I think for so many people, there's an overlay of fear and tension and gripping that doesn't have to be there. And so if you can just 
get yourself a little bit more comfortable and, you know, just have that not be in the back of your head as much. I mean, you know, we're always concerned when we fly, of course, but um, just what a gift that is to give to people. You know, it's interesting taking a lot of people who have never spun an airplane, pilots, which they've never spun an airplane and and done this kind of training with them in typically two flights. And by the end of the second flight, they're usually like, hey, what, can we do one more spin before we go back to the airport? They realize it's actually not scary. It's really a docile experience. And the spins, the spins we teach for, for from an airmanship and recovery perspective are plain vanilla upright spins. It's the only kind of spin you're going to get yourself into, maybe. And it's actually not that easy to get into a spin. In fact, one of the things you will realize when you do training like this, it's actually hard to make an airplane spin. Uh, the first question I always ask a pilot when we sit down for the briefing is what makes an airplane spin? And I get all the usual things you'd expect to hear. Well, you know, loss of lift, uh, Bernoulli's principle, um, changes in attitude, angle of it, all that. It's like, no, it's the pilot. They look at me like, <laughs> what do you mean? Well, have you ever, I'll ask you, Beth, have you ever oh, been God. flying along? Oh, God, I'm going to ask a question. I'm putting on my CFI hat now. Have you ever been flying along and the airplane suddenly just decided to stall and enter a spin? No. So every time you have been in a stall or a spin, what were you doing? I was pulling back on the stick. Yeah, exactly. So one of the things we need to teach people is when they're panicked, not to pull back. There's this, we call it the startle. There's a startle response. And then there's this inherent need to snatch back on the sticker yoke. So we actually call it the startle snatch response. People go, oh! and then because the, the nose is dropping. And then what do they want to do? They want to pick the nose up away from the earth back into the sky, right? The startle <gasps> and then the snatching of the sticker yoke. People are spring-loaded to, I don't even know why. Why are people spring-loaded to do that? It's it's really hard to explain. But what one of the, the things we teach in this kind of training is have the discipline to unload. I say be spring-loaded to unload. Oh, a bunch of alarms just went off around here. Um, be spring-loaded to unload. So when things are going wrong, like perfect example, you're doing power on stalls with a student. You get to the point where, oh, the nose breaks and starts dropping. Most students will go, oh, got to pick that nose up. If you actually just unload, then the plane will fly. You don't have to do opposite. This is my, this was my point about a spin entry is not a spin. You don't need to do pair. You're doing power on stalls and the nose breaks and the, typically the nose breaks to the left because that's the direction of all the left turning yaw tendencies from the propeller, just simply unload the airplane and fly away. It's really that simple. And when I show people that, they go, wow. Even CFIs, a lot of CFIs, they go, wow. It's I'm like, you don't, to, you don't even have to reduce the power. You just have to unload and let the airplane fly. It wants to fly. But if you're holding it back, if you're holding the yoke back or the stick back, it's going to stay and it's going to do all kinds of things that are could be scary if you're not used to what happens. You know, I've, as an instructor teaching this, I've gone beyond, I, I just, I've, I've gone up and, and shown people that what happens when you leave the power in and just hold the yoke or stick back, and we just watch what ha happens. And actually it's not as, that even that's not as scary as you would think, but most instructors will never go that far because as soon as the nose breaks, they want to do something. And really you don't need to do much, just need to unload and let the plane fly. And that's part of it is just teaching people to have the right reaction to the, which is what builds comfort.
Well, I think that all of the information that you've shared, even just listening to this one episode of the podcast, you've given so much great information for people to really think about and to hopefully encourage them to perhaps seek out this training or to encourage their students to seek out this training. So as we wrap up, Spencer, I have one final question for you that I'm just really curious about. You know, you've done so- wants to ask me one more question. I always get nervous. You should. I'm curious. You've done so many cool things over your long aviation career. What is the absolute favorite thing in aviation that you are so grateful that you got involved in this endeavor? I think just being involved in aerobatics and not just being involved in it, but being able to share it with other people. So one of my my greatest pleasures, if you will, has been taking people for rides, not just pilots, taking pilots and other flight instructors for rides in an aerobatic airplane and showing them really what the what the rest of flying is all about. Because if all you do is fly around, you know, at less than 15 degrees of pitch up or down and less than 45 degrees of bank, you haven't really experienced flying until you've rolled an airplane and been upside down and done loops and hammerheads and really explored what airplanes can do. And sharing that with people who've never done it and have and have been a little bit scared and and just expanding their their point of view on flying, I, I think is is amazing. It's it's one of the things I really enjoy doing. I've also had the privilege of taking a lot of fighter pilots flying because I've done air shows and many of them are military bases. And it's really interesting to watch fighter pilots react to something like a pits because it does things, a pits can do things in F-16 and F-15 can't do, like go backwards, like do tail slides. Um, we can fly inverted and push negative Gs in a way you can't in a jet. And that's all these guys and gals typically want to do. They want to get inverted and they want to push a lot of negative Gs until their head hurts. And if you've never pushed negative Gs, you, you, all that blood going up in your head hurts. They all want to do it. They all want to check it out. And it's pretty cool to just let them just go take for me to take off the airplane and go, here you go. You know, a thousand feet above after takeoff, your airplane. I don't need to touch it again. Just keep climbing and do whatever you want. I had one guy, I, I kid you not, the U2 pilot. Um, I met him at at uh up in Santa Rosa, California. We we've been friends ever since. I took him flying early about a year after we met. All he, all he wanted was fly around inverted. 15 minutes, we flew around upside down. He pushed, he pulled, he turned. And I showed him how to do everything until he finally said, I've had enough, let's go back. And it was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing for him and for me to just let him do that and explore it. This is a guy, I mean, I envy the flying he does. He flies mm -hmm. a U-2 and a T-38. Like, how cool would that be? And all he wanted to do was fly around inverted in the pits. And I was able to go up and do that with him. And it was just amazing. Well, how wonderful that there's just this diversity in flight and aviation and flight training and that we can share experiences with, with each other and learn from each other. And that's why, again, Mentor Magazine and this podcast series, it's just getting information out there to people and helping people learn new things that maybe they never considered, oh, I didn't even think I might want to do that. So Spencer, 
tell people where they can get in touch with you because it would be awesome if after this podcast drops, people are like, oh, let me look up Spencer. Um, sure. Who knows? Maybe you'll get a whole bunch more people to fly with. So how can people find you? Sure. I'm actually not that hard to find. You can Google me. Um, <laughs> I'm the only Spencer Suderman in the world as far as I know. Thank uh, God. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, Spencer Suderman, Spencer Suderman Aerobatics. You can find me on YouTube. My YouTube channel is Spencer Suderman. You can find me on LinkedIn. If you're on LinkedIn, connect with me. Although I, that's, you know, my, I actually work in the IT industry. That's what I normally do Monday to Friday. Uh, flying is my big avocation. So that's, I sort of downplay the flying there a little bit. Although I do tend to publish articles there that relate flying to business issues and concerns. And I share things I've learned in flying that relate to business. You can find me, um, I have a new website that's up now called instacfi.com, which is a, a, a way for students and flight simmers and pilots to connect with instructors online and get online training via Google Meet and using flight sims. So just launched that last week. There's a bunch of instructors involved. You can find me there and that's instacfi.com. So I'm not that hard to find. I mean, you awesome. that. <laughs> I ran into you in the garment tent. If I try yeah. to, if I looking at looking at all the eye candy. <laughs> well, Spencer, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a lot of fun, and it's just I think you know I, I'll just never stop preaching. Get that unusual attitude training, and uh, yeah, when you see the world that way for the first time, it's it's never the same again. And you know, not only is it just such an amazing experience, you know, again, it might save your bacon someday. True. Thank you, Beth. I appreciate you having me here. Thank you. Thank you so much, Spencer. Well, thank you for joining us for the Writers Behind the Stories on Nappy's More Right Writer podcast. Please like, subscribe, share your comments, and shoot me an email at thestanton at nappynet.org. I'd like you to consider sharing your stories with the Nappy community. We'll see you next time on the Writers Behind the Stories on Nappy's More Right Writer podcast. <laughs>